0: Hello, friends. Welcome to the Coffee and Deer podcast with Nick and the Doctor, sponsored by Black Rifle Coffee Company. Black Rifle Coffee Company was built on the mission to serve coffee and culture to people who love America, which is great because I love coffee and I love America. (laughs) We're a natural partner. So thanks again to our friends at Black Rifle Coffee Company. Today, we're going to be talking with our friend Mark Boardman from Vortex Optics. He is in the marketing department there. Has been for a long time actually he's a repeat guest so back-to-back repeat guests on the show but we're going to be take a little different uh, tactic here this time with mark we're going to talk specifically about uh shed hunting with optics and also turkey hunting with optics we touched on that the last time we talked with mark we're going to get into a little more detail also going to hear about some of the cool new products including believe it or not we're going to be talking about socks with an optics guy Uh, so pay attention to that and also a reminder that vortex is a supporting sponsor of the National Deer Association, which we really appreciate. This is also an ask NDA anything episode today we got a couple great questions looking forward to bringing those to you and the B team report, and I think the doctor, he must have come into today's show. Uh, lacking a good B team report because he went ahead and just created one today as we tried to record the interview so with that. Let's go ahead and bring in a man that's bracing himself for yet another snowstorm in the North, the doctor, Mr. Mike Groman. Mike, I'm gonna ask you how it's going today, even though I already know how it's going, but I'll let you tell us how it's going today.
1: Well, we are living through the B Team Report as we speak. I, For some reason, my, my podcasting microphone just is not working. The system's not recognizing the driver and, we really had a heck of a time trying to get this process going to the point of where I just had to back out of the interview, which I apologize for. And uh, so we know what my job's going to be tonight. It's going to be actually troubleshooting this problem that I'm having.
0: <laughs> well, the interview, when, when folks hear the interview, which we've I've already recorded, you'll just hear me interviewing Mark. So uh, that's the way it goes sometimes. We can never completely control. Uh, technology. And it's funny because Mark will share a story of an encounter that he had with a squirrel today on his way to work. And uh, as I, Mark and I were recapping at the end of the show, I said, uh, well, sometimes you're the squirrel and sometimes you're the truck. (laughs) So that's just the way it goes. You got to have a sense of humor uh, in this, in this business. So, and we do. But it was hilarious. I love
1: his days of thunder reference. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, just drive right through it, you know, put the hammer down, stay straight and drive through it. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Mark, he's also a good entertainer, which is good. He makes for a great guest on the show. So uh, that's coming up here. Hey, let's jump right into Ask NDA Anything. And so we got some really good questions this time, Mike. Uh, The first one comes to us from Brian, and he's in Indiana. Uh, Incidentally, when I see Indiana, just so people understand, around here we always say the state of Indiana. And to anybody else in the country, they're like, well, of course the state of Indiana. Well, the town that Mike and I, well, Mike previously lived in, but that I live in still, is Indiana, Pennsylvania. And so, yeah, here locally, if you bring up Indiana and you're referring to the Hoosier State, you always follow it with, oh, the state of Indiana. So, anyway, just a weird thing that we that we have to do here. Anyway, uh, so this is uh, from Brian from the Hoosier State of Indiana. He says, it seems that almost every facet of deer hunting and biology has been explored, from how to hunt whitetails to food plots to deer movement. My question is what are we missing, what have we not studied that will aid us in pursuing these creatures. That is a very thoughtful question i'll take a stab at the answer first and i'll also add that I sent this out uh, to Kip Adams as well and got his input on it. And i'll start with his answer his answer was just simply antler development, we know an awful lot about antler development, but he's hoping that we can learn even more because it's to the point where we understand that if we if we could learn more it could lead even to believe it or not people being able to regrow lost limbs if you could imagine that Uh, so there are lots of things that are really cool about antler development and you know it being the fastest growing uh, uh, bone on earth as i understand it and so uh, antler development is a cool thing and uh, so there's some room there i would also add to that generally uh, i think one of the greatest things about deer research is that no matter how much we research, we still don't know it all and it's still not making us necessary. I'm not going to say it's not making us better hunters because I think it has. We've learned, learned a lot that makes us be able to hunt and manage deer better for sure, but we still do not know and I don't think we'll ever know how to put ourselves exactly in the right place at exactly the right time at all times. And that just speaks to the wariness and the wonderful world of the whitetail. So that's my answer. Mike, is there anything that comes to mind for you that we're missing out there that we haven't talked about?
1: Well, the only thing that I'm going to say is because I haven't read or heard a lot on it. Now, it might be out there and it might be a dead end research stream, but I'm thinking potentially memory and intelligence. I don't know how much memory and intelligence has been looked at for deer as a prey species. They're more reactive, but... Um, they use their senses a lot to make decisions, but how conscious are those decisions? How calculated are those decisions? So, um, i I like I said, I haven't read and heard a lot about it, so that would be something I would have to or would be interested in. Is there a bunch of research out there and or is that something that we need to delve into further? And could it benefit us as hunters?
0: Yeah, that's great. I like that answer. Incidentally. By the time folks hear this, I'll already be there, but I'm heading to actually several of us on the NDA team are heading to the Southeast Year Study Group meeting where we're going to hear about all the latest and greatest research out there we will be down in Baton Rouge. And this is a event that we've hosted the last two years, thanks to COVID (laughs) hosted it virtually so we're looking forward to getting down there. uh, In person with with uh, some great Grad student research that's going on some of those folks and uh, folks at the universities that we work with it's just really the science meeting for deer, uh, for for white-tailed deer. So looking forward to that. All right, next question. This is Erica from Wisconsin. Uh, So thank you, Erica, for your question. And I I had to laugh at this one because uh, it came with some context. I'll read the question and I'll give you the context she sent as well. But her question for the show is, do you really have to be in the woods an hour before daylight for your best chance to kill a deer? My boyfriend insists that we have to, and as uh, as a learning hunter, I just don't get it. I still haven't seen a deer before eight am in the woods. And so uh, in her context in her email, she was just like, listen, I hate I hate having to get up early. I don't like walking around in the dark, and I've never seen a deer before eight am, but he insists this is how you have to do it. So um, it sounds it sounds like that they went out one morning and had this argument and and maybe maybe she was listening to the show on the way to the woods with him. Uh, But he's a show listener. Uh, Incidentally, the boyfriend is Brian. So, Brian, if you're listening to this and you were unaware that Erica sent us this question, here you go. She just made you famous. Um, Anyway, that's her question. And so, Mike, you get a chance to answer that first.
1: And and the answer is no, it's situational dependent. Um, For me, it's going to be based on where I'm hunting and how well I know those deer. So, there are places where I would prefer to walk in after the sun is up, either A, because I'm going to maybe a cyber scouted spot that I haven't actually seen in daylight. And so I need to make sure I'm picking the right tree with appropriate shooting lanes. Um, I like that time that works really well for me, at least in the areas that I hunt, is during the rut, because I've never really had a lot of right at first light activity. It's always more around that nine. Eight thirty, nine o'clock ish time frame. So, um, but I wouldn't say like I walk in ridiculously late. I mean, I walk in in gray light as it's cracking, cracking daylight in some of those situations, so that I can at least see what I'm doing. I could be a little bit quieter that way. Um, if there's a situation where I'm afraid that my um, headlamp might actually alert deer, you know, um, their visual if they're a- already above me or if they're already going to or if they're going to see me kind of getting myself in the same position. So I'd rather walk in when it's gray light, when, uh, I can see, okay. And they, they can't see really well either. Um, and just kind of move along that way. So, uh, for me, it's situational based on the time of year. I can, I'm comfortable moving in when it's just not straight bed to feed, feed to bed, like early season, late season. Um, later on in the morning, I like it during the rut timeframe because that mid morning activity, um, sometimes I want to set up from like a hunt from nine o'clock until two thirty three o'clock. Um, it's a little bit easier to do a long sit that way, but a lot of the activity is going to be in that time frame. So there are times and there are situations. I guess that's the way I'm gonna answer that.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of similar. Speaking of research, I want someone to do some really good research or maybe it's done and I haven't seen it yet on the impact that a white light, has on deer when you're coming into the woods, because sometimes I've walked right by them, like feet away, and they just look at me. (laughs) So I don't know how that works. Uh, Other times, I'm sure I've spooked deer. I'd like to see research on that. But anyway, um, I am less and less of a morning hunter, but as, as you said, it's dependent on a variety of things. So for example, when I'm hunting in the rut, I do like morning hunts, and I do like to be there early. Now, that being said, I have killed exactly one mature buck right at first light, but incidentally, that was also my biggest one, a deer in Illinois that scored almost 170 inches. I and mean, that's a heck of a deer. And if I wasn't in my stand before daylight, I, I wouldn't have got that deer. But that is a, I would say, the exception more than the rule. Uh, also, in my particular area, so I'm hunting an area that has almost no agriculture. It's more mountainous. This is my property. And I have found through my own hunting and also just trail camera data that morning is not great there for whatever reason and so it's not like i've got a huge agricultural field that i'm trying to catch deer coming in from feeding it's more mountains and i think that a lot of times the deer are already bedded before i get in there whereas with i'm hunting in delaware we are hunting a a definite uh, feeding to bedding scenario and so mornings tend to be better than evenings there so again it's just it just depends but i would say erica whatever keeps you in the woods uh, is what you need to do. If you don't like getting up that early, hunt the evenings, or if you do want to hunt mornings, I like the doctor's advice a lot. Go in during that gray light. Uh, I personally have also gotten quite good at being able to walk in total darkness without a light, um, but that gray light's really good because you can see a little bit. And so that would be our advice. So great questions. Uh, hat awards. Oh man. All right. I, I I actually, Mike, I found a stash of hats that I didn't know I had in my closet the other day when I was cleaning up my office and so I'm going to go ahead and give out two hats again i'm being a softy uh, and actually Erica uh, no actually i'm not sending one to your boyfriend because he's. <laughs> yeah i'm sending one to you don't give it to him you keep it and then you, we'll earned, it. you earned it and tell him he doesn't get a hat until he lets you hunt uh, after first light and then uh, we're <laughs> going to send one to Brian as well so folks send us your address we'll make sure you get one. All right, Mike, with that, let's go ahead and get into the interview with Mark. Lots to talk about here. Mark Boardman with Vortex Optics. I want to welcome to the show once again, Mark Boardman. Uh, Mark, you're our second repeat guest in a row. So that's, that's a good thing. It's good to come back. Uh, Mark is in the marketing department of Vortex Optics. He's also a big-time hunter and outdoorsman. He was on episode 20, uh, if you want to go back and catch that one. Uh, and he's living the life, too. I, it's interesting. I was just trying to catch up with you, Mark, and I, I, I search your name, and I see the, these pictures with you with all of this different kind of game. And so I'm really jealous, uh, but I know you've put, on some time, put in some time and a lot of miles to do that. Uh, and you've also been a guest, as I mentioned the last time, on a number of different podcasts, uh, but it speaks to your uh, popular your popularity, the popularity of vortex. You're out there living life. And uh, yeah, like I said, we had you on before. We're gonna go a slightly different direction this time, but it's always good to catch up with you. So Mark, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself and also, hey, recap your hunting season from last year.
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, number one, you are uh, way too kind, but I appreciate <laughs> all all the kind words. Uh, yeah, Mark Borman of Vortex, like you said, you know, part of the marketing team at Vortex been here I think going on like 13 years now always in the marketing department so uh yeah vortex is a is a good place and i'm lucky to call it uh home you know i mean it feels like home for work and and also from uh you know the people that i get to work with every day um love to hunt and fish grew up in the hunting fishing family i mean outside of work and family i mean that's that's how i spend my time uh always been passionate about it and uh yeah like uh i've uh as you mentioned i I like to do a lot of different things. I, I always say like I'm like the world's okayest hunter because I like to, you know, <laughs> hunt different things and see different places. Um, but uh but I guess it's just kind of the uh, you know, seeing those different landscapes is one one of the things that I find, you know, truly um just uh it's it's what I love about hunting, you know, is hunting different critters in different places. So
0: World's okayest hunter seems like it should be a t-shirt. I like that.
2: I think I think it might actually be. I did a little hunting this morning actually, not intentionally. I hit a squirrel on the way to work. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. I was I was super bummed about it. Usually I go with the uh like I call it the days of thunder approach where like you know, because they dart out, you know, and I and I find like if you try to swerve, and they try to swerve and and I, so I I I just go straight and I'm like, hey, I'm gonna give you a consistent rate of speed. And what I feel is the most data, the most accurate data you can work off of as a squirrel. Um, And usually it works. Usually they dodge or dip, dive and duck. And this guy, he just, I don't know, he was on a mission. So I I felt, I felt bad about that today, but. It's funny as hunters,
0: right? You go out and you, you try to shoot something and kill something and, but then you run something over with your vehicle and I'm the same way. I always feel terrible about it. It's just like a completely different thing. Totally.
2: Yeah. It's like, oh man, I'm sorry, dude. Like, you know, then I get, it, totally sidetracking here, but you know, I'm thinking about all the things that led up to that today. Like <laughs> I had to get fuel on the way to work today. And I'm like, man, if I didn't have to stop to get fuel, like that dude's day ends up very different, but maybe my day ends up different too. You know, hopefully it wasn't like some sort of one for one and, or maybe hopefully it was for me, if it was some sort of one for one in the universe, but yeah, the stuff yeah. that I com- contemplate while drinking uh, coffee on the way to work. I guess, so <laughs>
0: I think what's the movie, the butterfly effect or something like that, but uh, yeah, the, one thing leads to another and unfortunately for that squirrel didn't turn out good for him, but it's going to be a great day for you know like a, a crow or a vulture or something. Man true that true that so yep, but. somebody always wins out there so how was your hunting season.
2: Man, it was good. Um, really neat. I guess you know, speaking to getting to do some new things. Uh, it was full, full of that. So we worked on some internal projects here, some 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 different uh film projects that uh luckily took me to some some really neat places. So I got to hunt Hawaii, uh, for the first time. Uh, so hunted uh actually with with Remy Warren uh there, and so you know longtime friend, and we've worked with him you know at Vortex for a long time. So that was just Really fun to finally be able to hunt together and see the island from that perspective. Um, I've been to Hawaii uh, a few times, but always from the, you know, kind of the typical vacation, you know, chill out, lay on the beach, snorkel. Um, and so it was really neat to see it from from the hunt side and and really dive into the landscape a little bit. Uh, we hunted close to the ocean for a couple of days. We hunted in like the dense jungle for a day. And it was just, uh, just the animals in the place and, and, uh, you know, being able to be there with a, a bow and a rifle in my hand, got to do a little bit of each, um, was just, uh, it was outstanding. It was, it was really neat. Um, so that was cool. And then, uh, hunted Kodiak in the Alpine for blacktails or Sitka blacktails. Um, and that was just off the charts, super remote, you know, wild, typical Kodiak, all sorts of weather, uh tough you know tough hunting good hunting uh we shot some deer saw some bears had some gnarly weather like it was just like all the things that uh you hope to get get from the island um and then hunted deer in montana with um with uh ryan lampers got to hunt with uh llamas for the first time that was really neat uh and, you know, Ryan is such a, I mean, you know, both he and Remy are just, you know, two of the best hunters I've ever met in my whole life. You know, I mean, it, hunting with those guys, you know, kind of puts uh, puts uh, things in perspective. You're like, you know, do some self-reflection. Like, man, these guys are good. Um, but uh, not that was really like, Super cold weather, way deep into the negatives, high winds, blowing snow. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, for me, it was more of an exercise in survival. I I, I like to say, you know, Ryan, Ryan thrived. I survived, Um, (laughs) shot a buck, you know, camped out, uh, you know, did some hot tent camping. And, and so that was, that was a really neat one. That was, um, I guess they were all extremely neat and uh, rewarding in their own way. So that was my, that was my season in a nutshell. And, And then bow hunting here at home too, as well. So.
0: Well, folks, that's the end of the show today. I think we've heard about all we need to hear. Uh, <laughs> we're all sitting here uh, jealous and mouthwatering. Those are, that's a lifetime's worth of great trips for a lot of people. Um, but you know, it's interesting, a couple of things you said. We could spend a ton of time just talking about Hawaii. We could talk about hunting with llamas, which is really cool and a great experience. But one thing you said I want to pull out, because a lot of times people will say, you know, someone that's not really working in the industry will ask someone that's in the industry, hey, You know when you've hunted with some of these people what have you thought and then you had mentioned you know uh the the guys you're hunting with are some of the best hunters you've ever hunted with and so i've had that experience but i've also had the experience where i've gone out with some like outdoor writers and i'm and i'm actually shocked at the opposite like man these people really don't know anything like all of a sudden i feel like i know something and so it's not across the board thing right just not everybody in in this industry is equal but you certainly run into some of folks that you would describe as the exceptional. They're like, man, that's, that's where the bar is. I want to be up there with those guys. And then some others where I think you're just kind of surprised at maybe lack of experience and knowledge.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think you can definitely see, uh, you know, th- there's certainly a wide swath there. Right. Um, and you might, you know, like you said, you m- might meet some folks and be left with a, with a couple question marks. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, I can say, you know, with like, um, uh, You know, Ryan and Remy and uh hunted Brad Brooks and uh Jason Kaufman from Argali. That's who we were up in in Kodiak with and with um Eric and Sawyer from the office were on that uh hunt as well. And that was another great group. And yeah, Brad is just another one of those guys that can just, you know, absolutely get after it. But I mean, that's like I love hunting with people like that. Number one, like it forces me to test myself a little bit, you know. Um and there's always so much to learn, you know, here, here at Vortex. Um, I host the podcast, our podcast with Jim Vortex Nation podcast, shameless plug, uh, <laughs> tune in. But uh, that's what I love about it is you talk with all these people who are just, you know, they're experts in, in their field. And, you know, you talk to a you know person that's just like super dialed in white tail hunting or super dialed in mule deer hunting or competitive shooting or long range stuff. And there's just like, you know, I think as outdoorsmen. Or, uh, you know, you got to be a consummate student, you know, there's always something to learn, something to get better at, Um, you know, and, and uh, I guess to me, that's, that's a big part of the fun.
0: Yeah, very well said. It's not uniform across the board. You see these things come out occasionally that say, oh, these are the, the world's best hunters. And I just kind of laugh at that because, you know, it's, I don't know that there is such a thing. Like you mentioned, there's so many different types of hunting. Um, you know, there's someone out there that's an outstanding squirrel hunter. We talked about squirrels earlier, and there's also someone out there that is a uh, absolute, uh, you know, man of the woods in the whitetail world. And there are also folks that are hunting out west. You know, maybe there's the the best bear hunter. So they're just it's it's just not uniform across the board. It's very different things. And I've also seen some folks that I have super respect for who are great, you know, mule deer and elk hunters. And then all of a sudden, you bring them to the east to hunt a high-pressured whitetail, and they're like, it's like they'd never hunted deer before, right? And vice versa, you throw an eastern or out west of the first time, and it's a complete shock to them. So, yeah, I think that's uh, very well put there.
2: Yeah, I think, a, I think all those experiences make you a better hunter. There's always something you can glean from you know even if you're a hardcore white tail person there's stuff like maybe it's that patience you know you have the patience to sit for a while in a spot where another person might be like dude there's nothing here we glassed it up let's you know move 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 and in both those things you know they they could pay off you know either one can really pay off but i think it's you know adding to your bag of tricks there and and with the small game side of things you're talking about being an expert squirrel hunter i've been trying to get my girls out i have uh, uh seven and nine-year-old daughters and so we've been trying to, I'm like, you know, I need to be a better outdoor dad, and let's yeah, uh, introduce him to hunting. And and so I've been uh, going out with the old 22 410 and we've gone on, on a few walks in the woods. We actually have yet to get a squirrel, which seems like, it seems like it would be impossible. <laughs> like, I went with my truck this morning. Uh, right, right. Like, it should be, like, impossible to not get one. Uh, you know, you think, like, whitetail hunting in the Midwest, I think I see about, you know, 500 squirrels a day, and they're just, like, you know, gallivanting around, and, you know, they're half-annoying. And then you actually go try and you know kill one of the darn things, and they're uh completely absent. I don't think you know two girls talking and running around and you know which is great. they're enjoying themselves in the outdoors, so i don't I really don't care, but um, like I'm starting to garner more respect for you know hardcore small game hunters that are good at getting squirrels, you know i'm I'm like, yep. we've struck out like three times now, so
0: yeah, yeah, it's fun you're when you're introducing you know young people to the outdoors, especially my son is six. And we're doing things right now, like just, we have a 15 minute bird count we're doing with him every day. And when we're looking out, outside, you, you don't see any birds, but all of a sudden we quit counting birds and there's a hundred of them in the yard. So it's, uh, I know, I feel your pain there for sure. When you're really looking for something it's not always easy to find it. So, hey, uh, we're gonna talk uh, uh, in detail here about hunting for sheds and how optics can help you. And also we're gonna talk about turkey hunting with optics. But before we do that, you guys have some really cool stuff here for 2023 I want to give you a chance to talk about. So uh, I'm going to let you jump in specifically, though. I'd like to hear more about uh, the Mountain Pass Tripod. Uh, you've also got the Strike Eagle 3. you got some cool apparel things that are sort of unique that I haven't really seen before that are innovative. And before you jump into that, though, I do want to mention I last year at the end of the year purchased a, uh, a pair of Diamondback 8x32s, which are not your top of the line. Okay. And the reason I'm bringing that up is I bought these because I'm a saddle hunter. And one of the things I've found with saddle hunting is if you have a large pair of optics on your chest, they get in the way of your tether all the time. And so these just fit the bill perfectly, but they're, and they're not even your highest end. So just a a shout out to you and anyone else that's saddle hunting, look into those. They're certainly smaller, but they're great glass and they've served me well. So uh, thanks for a great product on those.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Those I mean that the Diamondback series in and, in and of itself is um just super solid. You know, we always say bang for the buck. It's tough to beat the Diamondback. You're getting a ton of optical quality and performance and durability um and it's not killing you in your pocket. And you know, speaking of pockets, you know, those those 8x32s, number one 8 power perfect for the white woods and then the small frame of that 32 they'll fit in your pocket so you can keep them, you know, at the ready, you know, almost like similar to where that you might, your rangefinder or something like that. But if you need to get a look or, or uh, identify something or, you know, that it is a deer or isn't a deer or is it a buck, you know um, yeah, that's a great one to have on hand. They, they do an awesome job.
0: So take us through
2: some of the new stuff. Yeah. So the new strike Eagle three to 18 by 44 um is just a stand out optic, uh feature-rich optic. I'd say it's you know more on the quotation mark air quotes tactical side of the house for us. It's got a 34 millimeter tube. Uh it's got a pop up and down locking elevation turret. So uh if you want to dial your elevation, you just pop it up, turn to, you know, turn to the graduation that you need to dial to execute, you know, a longer range shot. Um, you can lock it back down so it's not gonna, you know, turn inadvertently when you don't want to um tons of travel you know i mean just just an immense amount of travel you know due to that large larger tube diameter uh optically it stands out uh, even amongst the strike eagle eagle series there's there's also a a 5 to 25 by 50 in the lineup but that 3 to 18 by 44 uh i like them both a lot but to me that's that's the sweet spot uh it's got our ebr7 reticle it's a data rich reticle so if you want to uh use you know your holds off the reticle you can certainly do that um rev stop zero system so it's got a zero stop so when you want to come back home you've got a hard stop um actually a little bit below your zero uh, that's actually designed you know into it um illumination it's got a capped windage turret uh which which i like you know i just I, i don't generally dial my wind in the field so it keeps the scope a little bit lighter weight a little bit more streamlined um caps that turret keeps it keeps protected um just a great, great optic for uh, long-range stuff. Um, great optic. You know, a lot of guys are getting into that long-range 22 um, stuff these days. It'd be phenomenal on on a predator rifle. You know, your your AR or a bolt gun that, that you use for predators. Um, the size and weight crosses over into a person who wants to do um, potentially, you know, extend their effective range, like while wow, they're deer hunting or something like that. Just a really, really cool versatile optic. Um, Wouldn't be surprised to see it in the law enforcement world doing like uh, designated marksman type stuff. Um, It's just, it's really got it all. Yeah. I'm I'm really excited about that one.
0: Socks, which does not seem like something we would talk a ton about on a, a podcast with you, but you sent me a note about a really cool sock, at least one. You maybe have more, but tell us about the tick sock.
2: So, yeah. So, I mean, we, you know, the apparel team is always coming out with, you know, really cool stuff from t-shirts to hoodies to, you know, um you know, so, apparel that integrates some tech and that would include our stocks, our, our stocks. Let me give you some <laughs> stock advice. Uh But uh so, yeah, we've got uh, a, a few different socks and, you know, st- I mean, I guess it might sound like strangely enough, but like, I really feel like those are like the, uh, I guess no pun intended, the standout pieces in the lineup, and and I'm actually wearing a set right now. They're incredibly durable. I wear them uh, about five days a week here at, at Vortex, so I'm always product testing our socks five days a week. Um, actually, you know, six or seven depending if I go do some outdoor stuff. But right. um, but uh, but yeah, and then you've got the tick socks, which um are uh, you know have permethrin in them. At least that's how I say it. I don't know how everybody else says. Permethrin, I think that's, that's right. how I say it. That's what I say. Uh, Yep. But uh, I mean, you think about it. You know, I mean, I guess that's uh, you know, your feet are kind of at the ground floor there of tickdom in the spring uh, in the spring woods when uh, you know at at least I find here in Wisconsin that's kind of when they're they're most prevalent spring and summer when you're spending a lot of time outside. So it's just an extra layer of protection to hopefully keep the uh, the creepy crawlies from uh, crawling all the way up.
0: Well, I love your apparel, and it's just, I don't, yeah, you know, I, th- I see a lot of it out there. So people are catching on. I'm wearing one of your t shirts right now. Um, and socks are something that, man, I just, I've never found the perfect one. But I do have some of yours that I really like. And so maybe I need to give these a try. Uh, also, if they might help with chiggers, because I've had some chigger attacks <laughs> in the past that are, they're worse than anything. I think I'd rather just break my ankle than get uh, bitten up by chiggers.
2: Oh, man, I tell you what, I got into those one time, I, I I didn't really even know what it was at first. And it was, I mean, that was brutal, man. I think I even maybe potentially even had like a little bit more of a reaction to them than, um, but those things are nasty. Yeah, they're terrible. And, it, and I
0: assume my friend Ron in Delaware is listening to this, because that's where I ran into them more than once. And so we have a running joke about running into chiggers so much so that my wife actually bought me special stuff to put on my skin (laughs) for when i get into them again and so you know these socks might be might be something to try so we'll have to have to keep that in mind so yeah folks definitely check out the apparel line at vortex because they have just some great great stuff all right mark let's go ahead and focus on a couple areas that i introduced at the beginning of the show and i think these are should be of high interest to our listeners they certainly are to me and for some they may be hearing this for the first time but i want to start with antler shed hunting and why a set of optics would matter why would they help you out there looking for sheds
2: so yeah you know and, and there's definitely folks out there that are way more hardcore shed hunters than i am i actually I did go out this last sunday for a bit of a stroll i, I call it uh shutter sizing when I, I just <laughs> I, I threw uh I threw 40 on my back and uh and uh you know went for a walk. I think I did like 2.5 miles. Didn't find any horns, but I did get some exercise. But um yeah, you know, out west, you know, I feel like optics are so key for shed hunting. I mean these guys are using their optics as much as they are when they're, when they're big game hunting or scouting, you know, glassing up sheds, uh things of that nature. But one thing I find surprising in the Midwest or, you know, kind of these more, I guess, you know, whitetail, traditional, what I consider like a traditional whitetail-oriented landscape. I'll see guys that they shed hunt, but they're, they they don't they don't bring their binos with them. And it's just like, I don't even like going outside without my binoculars, you know? Um, and it's just such a, you know, you can qualify what things are from so far away. I mean, you could actually glass up an entire field and be like, eh, I don't see anything out there without having to walk it. So you're being more efficient, you're saving energy. Um, you can identify things from further away. Uh, you I don't know. Like, it just seems like it's like a no brainer to me, but it's one thing that I feel like I see fairly often is is folks will go shed hunting without binoculars. Hey friends, what would you get with an over
0: $5,000 Vortex optics and gear shopping spree? Man, I can certainly think of a few things, including that new rifle scope that I need, as well as a bunch of stuff I don't need, but would just love to have. But how about a new pair of Razer binoculars or a Spark Solar Red Dot Scope for turkey season? How about a new Razer HD 4000 GB rangefinder? Or one of their slick new switchback carbon tripods for precision shooting and glassing? You can get all that and more, plus an additional $500 to shop at Vortex's online apparel store. And their apparel is pretty sweet, let me tell you. All you have to do, swing over to join.vtxnation.com for your chance to win. That's join.vtxnation.com. Sign up for the re-newsletter. It takes about 10 seconds, and that's it. There's no catch. You'll be automatically entered to win the $5,500 total prize package. Again, go to join.vtxnation.com today. Deadline to enter is March 31st, so get on it. Having said that, and, and by the way, I was a late adopter of of shed hunting with with uh, optics. And the reason I started doing it is uh, when I was living in Ohio, in particular, you have these big, wide open landscapes. I mean, there are certainly woods, but there's also a lot of wide open and these big ag fields. And I started to figure out that every time I saw something that caught my eye, I had to walk all the way over to it to check it out. And so I was a late adopter. But once I figured it out, I was like, man, I've learned something here. So that being said, what different magnifications uh, or objective binoculars would you recommend for shed hunting?
2: You know, I think those eight by 32s that you talked about would be perfect. Um, you know, speaking to like, you know, more of a, a Midwest type landscape, I would probably um go with an eight-power binocular. I think that's actually going to be plenty of magnification. Um, and, and in some ways, not too much magnification. I think you, I think you can, you know, have too much. Sometimes I'd say most often, you know, I do carry uh, a 10 by 42, uh, just as my general all purpose binocular, but it's like, yeah, you might need to look further away when you're shed hunting potentially, but I don't think it's going to be really any, any distances where eight power, isn't going to be enough but you're also going to be looking close a lot too. Like sometimes I'm, I'm glassing up stuff, 30, 40, 50 yards away in the timber where you just see maybe that little piece of white poking up. And I just need to confirm, Hey, that is, or it isn't, you know, I'm not glassing, you know, way far away. Um, just, you know, saving myself, like you said, these little, you know, 40, 50, 60 yard walks, you know, when you're like, well, I want to go up, I'm on this trail or I know there's a bunch of beds over here and this is going to be my primary search, but I see that over there. And I don't want to have to walk all the way, all the way over there to see it. So, um, I'd stick with that eight power. I'd say that's probably to me going to be the most advantageous. And, and I'd say for most whitetail hunting, that's a fantastic, fantastic power to stick with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You don't necessarily need to have a separate a set of optics just to go shed hunting and so like you said the the, the typical uh the, the standard one you'd be using especially for eastern whitetail hunting is going to serve you very well also for hunting uh hunting for sheds and by the way it is kind of getting into shed season what's your what's your general strategy for that while we're talking shed hunting
2: oh boy you know uh nothing earth shattering here uh if i can you know find some food where uh where the deer have been uh you know aggregating you know and and maybe some high density spending some time there uh food and bedding food bedding and trails you know i guess that's what i'm looking for um you know and and like i mentioned you know i'm I'm, as much as i'm looking for horns uh i'm scouting new areas that i might want to try and hunt as well as uh get get some exercise get ready for spring bear season
0: yeah i'm the same way i don't think there's any I mean, some people may claim that there's a magic way to find them, but uh, I think what you said makes a lot of sense. And the, the, I guess the biggest thing I tell people is I just had this conversation with my brother. He said, I went out and walked for four hours and didn't find any sheds. I said, well, I still think that this time of year, there's a lot of them are still walking around with antlers on their heads. So I don't go out really until at least mid-March and sometimes late March is I've had trail camera pictures of deer carrying antlers clean into April. I don't know if you've had that.
2: Yeah. I've seen that a fair amount here in, in Wisconsin. Um, you know, one that one, the, uh, Cooper, one of our, uh, camera guys, um, he went out the other day and found, you know, a, a real nice match set and then another antler. So he kind of lit the fire under me and we had a, a window in the snow here where a lot of it had melted off. We have some more coming later this week. It's it's kind of been in and out. And I was like, ah, you know, I mean, if there's some early drops out there, you know, maybe I'll be able to uh, find something and, I guess it was more of a a hypothesis than anything else, but with spots that were burned off and spots that weren't in my head, I was like, well, maybe that will show me where some deer have actually been laying the last few days, assuming again, speculating that they might want to sleep, you know, not on snow and that might, uh, I guess, decrease, you know, my search area, but I also didn't find any horns. So I don't, I don't know if that uh, hypothesis holds any weight, (laughs) But uh, that's what I'm going with right now.
0: Yeah, that sounds good to me. I mean, the only other thing I would add to, uh, for folks is that I always go to my very – where I expect the best places to be right off the bat because in my mind, I tell myself I'm going to scour this 100 acres, but it never happens that way. So you don't want to leave your best spots for later and a never have later happen. So uh, definitely go to your best spots first is what I would encourage people to do. All right, let's shift gears from antlers to turkeys. And you all have great products for turkey hunters, great optics uh, for for on the shotgun and otherwise. Uh, take us through that. Just, just why, what is the advantage? And it might seem obvious, but maybe not. What is the advantage to having a good optic to shoot a turkey?
2: Man, yeah, you don't have to twist my arm to talk about some turkey hunting. Uh, so I, I've run a, a front beat on my shotgun for most of my my turkey hunting life. In fact, I think it was just even this last year, I finally put a red dot. On there, and um, it's almost like legal cheating, you know for for uh <laughs> you know uh shooting turkeys it's uh a red dot affords a person the ability to not be in the perfect situation like from a positional standpoint, but execute a perfect shot so um they're parallax free, and so what that gives you is You know, if you're twisted up on a bird or maybe they came in from behind you, you don't have to be perfectly, you know, lined up, you know, bear down on that shotgun with the absolute perfect form. If you can see the dot in your field of view and it's where, you know, it's on that turkey's head or it's waddles and it's where you want your shot to go, that's where it's going to impact. And I think that can be um, a big asset in the field. I think it can be a really big asset for new hunters who may not have, um, you know, a ton of experience, you know, really, uh, bearing down on that front bead and aiming, it can be great for, uh, youth hunters, you know, who potentially, um, you know, you know, how, how, um, important shotgun fit is, but you know, as a youth hunter, sometimes we don't always have a shotgun that fits us perfectly. So it can be difficult to aim. So just a really, um, a lot of, uh, benefits from putting a red dot on your shotgun. Your confidence goes way up. I feel like it allows you to extend your effective range. You know, we've got these modern TSS shot loads um, to where, you know, you can take a little bit longer poke than I think you maybe traditionally were able to a few years ago. And by having the dot, but being able to see the entire bird, you know, you're you're not covering that bird up when you get one at, you know, maybe, you know, 40 to 60 yards, say something like that. Um, it, it you could it just give you like that, uh, that pinpoint, you know, aiming point to hopefully uh knock that gobbler down and throw him in the pot.
0: I like the mindlessness of it. Uh, we're going to talk about specific products. I have the spark solar from you all, uh, which is awesome. And so, how many times I can remember just throughout my turkey hunting career, especially as I was learning you hear the bird, you hear the bird, but then when you actually see it, it just does something to you, right? It takes your breath away for a second and you lose focus. And how easy it is if you don't have the red dot to just not have the bead and everything lined up, you're not looking straight down the barrel, for example, and then you blow the shot. And so that's, that's the biggest part I love about it. I don't know about you, but even even as an experienced turkey hunter now, when I see that first bird of the year, especially, it just does something to you and you lose focus.
2: Oh, for sure. I mean, it's it's, you know, one of the most exciting things going in my book. I mean, you get a gobbler, like you said, when you when you finally see that bird. And I think it's like turning handle that switch like, oh, this is on like this is happening. You know, I can. um, Yeah, it, it is exciting. And uh, yeah, being able to I think it's just adds it adds an extra layer of confidence, you know, that you're like, yep, this is this. You know, when I squeeze this off, you know, if I if I get a good trigger press, you know, That shot's gonna go where I want it to go. I think you can also pattern your shotgun uh, better and and see and be confident in you know what's happening downrange when you're preparing for for turkey season. You know, sighting your shotgun in number one, but also um, knowing like, oh wow, you know, I'm I'm a little bit to the left here. My pattern's doing this. I I think you can um, really ascertain um, some of the finer points of patterning your shotgun. Uh, and you might even identify, oh, maybe I should, you know, change chokes or change turkey loads mm-hmm. or, um, and, and really fine tune that so you can be the most effective.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. I teased one of your products, but why don't you take us through, uh, let's do it this way. Let's do what would be your top of the line recommendation. Someone doesn't care what the budget is. They want to get your best possible turkey site and something that you think would be considered, we, we'd call it like your best value.
2: Man, so the good thing about uh, both of the optics I'm going to mention is I don't feel like a person's going to be at any sort of disadvantage with either of them. They're both fantastic optics. Um, The one that I have on my shotgun right now, same as you i have got the Spark Solar. Um, It's going to come with, uh, you know, our multi-height mount system. So it comes with, uh, you know, a riser that's going to get it to that optimal like AR-15 mounting height. Uh, it's also going to come with uh, a low so like you know perfect for mounting on on your shotgun down low so um, as the name implies it's got a solar panel in the top so the nice thing about that is yes it is battery operated but if there's enough ambient light which like the light in this room right now would be enough ambient ambient light uh, the site will sense that and be like okay cool i'm gonna run off of solar It's not going to drain the battery in any way. So it's like you've got two independent power sources. Um, And, you know, when you go outside, you're like, well, I don't have to worry about my battery because, you know, once it gets daylight, I'm good to go. And generally, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm hunting turkeys in the daylight. (laughs) Um, But uh, and then the other one would be the the cross. So that's going to retail for like uh, $279.99. Um, and then the other one would be the crossfire, which is, uh, it doesn't have a solar panel. So it's going to be uh battery operated. It's got, I don't recall the runtime off the top of my head, but it's, it's substantial. So I don't think it's anything a person would really need to worry about in any capacity. I think you switch your battery out every year. You're going to be good to go. Um, but, uh, again, it's going to come with the high amount, come with the low amount. Uh, and you know, that retails for right about 149.99. So, you know, 150 bucks. Um, and I'd never steer anybody away from that. It's it's a great optic. They're both super durable. Uh they're gonna get the job done. And uh, you know, I, I think uh, you know, if you go that route, you might you might bring a, a few more turkeys to bag.
0: Yep, I love it. I love the spark solar. One of the main reasons I love it is because I can't tell you how many times I forgot on my older site to shut the the site off and then the next time I try to go turkey hunting, the battery's dead. And so uh, my forgetfulness alone was a reason to get the spark solar. But as you said, um, you know, the, it's there, you don't have to have a solar panel on your site either uh, to get high quality. And so I appreciate the breakdown on those. And folks, it is about to be turkey season in some parts of the country here very quickly. So don't wait around. Get yourself uh, what you need from our friends at Vortex and also get that gun patterned. And don't assume that it's just going to be on when you get it. Uh, incidentally yep. though, when I put the spark solar on, it was actually, I didn't have to make a single adjustment for whatever reason. It was already perfectly aligned, uh, with my gun. But I, th- I think that was an anomaly.
2: All right. Um, yeah, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, they, gen- they generally, I think they come pretty centered. So like oftentimes they aren't, I mean, you definitely need to look and test it and see how your gun is patterning. But, um, I found, I guess i anecdotally, I found the same thing. I was like, oh, that was pretty close, you know? Yeah, I was surprised.
0: I was actually very happy though because there's nothing I hate more than patterning a turkey load shotgun because it hurts. <laughs> so,
2: yeah. Yeah. And I will say a lot our red dots oftentimes have an auto shut off too. So after 14 hours, which would be like a typical um, you know, a little bit more than like a typical law enforcement shift, they they will auto shut off. So that is that's a nice kind of fail safe like uh if you if you do forget to turn it off, you got that in the in in your back pocket.
0: Yeah, that's an excellent, excellent feature for sure. All right, let's go ahead and shift gears here and we'll get you out of here. Appreciate your time today. Uh, We just at the National Deer Association signed a new contract with you all. So we're going to continue to be working together. You folks have been great sponsors of ours uh, for a long time, which we appreciate it. And so uh, as part of that, we're going to have some exciting opportunities uh, to get some discounts through you folks as well. So I just want to thank you Uh, for that and tell you that we're really looking forward to this continued partnership?
2: Oh, we are as well. I mean, you guys are doing phenomenal work. Um, You know, we appreciate you guys and everything you're doing. Um, You know, I guess personally, you know, for us here at Vortex and then, you know, I guess professionally, you know, as a company, um, you know, conf- conservation is you know is a big part of what's in the heart of of what we do here and what we care about. And so, yeah, thank thank you guys. I mean, that's that's an easy decision from our end for sure. Um, you guys are doing phenomenal stuff, and and we appreciate it.
0: Well, I do want to point out that yeah, Vortex supports many other conservation organizations. And so, if you go to pick your favorite conservation group and you look at who's supporting them, you're going to see Vortex there, which I think is very impressive and I'm certainly proud to uh, use your products. And I wanna mention folks, if you wanna learn more about Vortex, maybe you're new to Vortex, uh, you can go to vortexoptics.com. You can also find them on social media. They've got some great content out there. You can learn a ton about optics, frankly, just right on their website. Uh, They also have a lot of uh, excellent resources. So uh, articles, and then Mark mentioned the Vortex Nation podcast, which he hosts, which is also really good so i encourage you to check that out so uh, mark thank you again for joining us it's always a pleasure and maybe you'll be the first person to come on for the third time on the coffee and deer show
2: oh i tell you what man i uh, that would be uh that would be a true honor i mean and i appreciate you having me on and, and chatting with me listen to me ramble a little bit but uh yeah it's uh, you guys are doing a phenomenal job and it's always uh, like you said it's always fun getting the chat.
0: Well, Mike, even though you didn't get, get a chance to ask questions during the interview, you heard a bunch of it. You heard a bunch of the conversation. I thought it was good. And particularly for people that are shed hunting, um, I like I like his advice of, of using an optic to help you with that. I use it myself. And I, th- I think that that's just a very simple yet hot tip for people.
1: Well, and I agree. And the question that I would have asked is that, or the point I would have liked to have made was that when I'm Shed hunting, I'm usually doing more scouting anyways. Like I said, I do a lot of my shed hunting during turkey season, but I do go out earlier. But optics can save you steps. You know, you can actually identify uh, maybe a potential rub line or uh, by popping up your your optics, or is that a scrape over there and drop your optics on it and see the licking branch hang go, yep, that is, and then you walk over. And so it it can save you a lot of time and a lot of steps, unless you're out there trying to exercise. Uh, but for me, it's all about being efficient. So there is a definite benefit in that capacity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So again, thank you, Mark. Thank you, Vortex for all your support. Um, uh, always always good stuff and Mark is, is fun to have on. So uh, incidentally, while we were recording here, I also reached out to Matt Ross to answer the research question that we talked about at the Ask NDA Anything and he just now got back to me. So Matt, you got in just under the wire. Uh, so appreciate that and Matt said uh, he said he would say more research about being able to predict deer movement. Still learning a lot about what makes them decide to do different things uh, regarding resource use, etc. So I think that's even just more along the lines of what you said, Mike. So Matt is agreeing with you there. So thanks, Matt, for for getting us that. All right, Mike, uh, the B team report. It's here. Let's jump right into it. I think we all know what you're going to say. Maybe you have another one to add on, but let's bring uh, let's let's go ahead and and. Yeah, uh, I'm having a B-team report. Right, I can't even introduce the B-team report. This is awful. Mike's falling out of his chair. Oh goodness! Today it's just one of those days. We should all go back to bed. All right, folks, let's go ahead and have the B-team report. <laughs> Mike, we've both we've both already had impromptu B team reports today, but uh, and it, do you want to add anything to your report about your audio issues or do you have something else you'd like to share with our good listeners today?
1: Well, I have something else. Um we've we finally had some warm up here so the snows melted off and I'm actually starting to do some work on my place up here and what I did was I was actually into a place that I did some work on last summer. And I'm in there, I'm, I'm working around and I look down, I see something like reddish orange. I looked down, I'm like, is that, what is that? Did I leave something here? And sure enough, there was a tape measure in my hatchet that was underneath some sawdust and some leaves. And um, I have the pictures, I'll put them up uh, probably for my weekly Instagram post. I'll just b team that one. But I was working last summer getting, you know bucking up these logs. And because my wood burner is a very specific size, I mean, I'm that, you know, that focused or that specific about all the things I do in my life, but I actually had a tape measure and I actually take a hatchet along and I'll put a a divot where I need to actually drop the saw because I like everything to work just perfectly in my life. And so I must've left that tape measure and hatchet there since last summer and the hatch is rusty. It's still functional, but the tape measure is definitely gone. So that's my additional B team story.
0: And, and everything is working perfectly in your life right now. Is that right?
1: Except for the audio on the microphone <laughs> is. I mean, I can hear you just great, but I'm sitting here. I have my laptop tipped up, pointed toward my face because I don't even know where the real microphone is on this thing. So oh, we're having a day.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it. It is. It is what it is, right? We all have days like that, and I'm starting to have one myself here. Uh, you know, it's funny you brought something to mind finding things in the woods that you've lost because I've done that. And this wasn't going to be my B team report, but I'll mention it. I remember one time, uh be- beginning of an archery season, I get out and I get up a tree and I'm sitting there and looking around, and all of a sudden I notice there's this trail camera there, and I- and I'm irritated because this is you know my private area. I'm like, well, who in the heck put a trail camera in here? When I climb down, I'm going to go over and check that thing out. And so sure enough, the hunt ends and I go walking over. <laughs> And it's a trail camera I had set the previous season and forgot about. So there you have it. That's a free B team report, um, uh, you know, one that I pulled off. So have you ever done that? Have you ever put a camera out and lost it or forgot about it?
1: Uh, no, no, I never have. Um, no, I've never left a camera uh, that I've forgotten about.
0: No. Wow. I've done it, and, and maybe some of the listeners have too, so anyway, uh, I'll give you my B Team report, the one I thought of for for today, and there's a couple I could have picked from, um, but I, this is the one I'm going with, and so it has to do with trail cameras and leaving things in the woods, uh, so uh, it's sort of similar to yours, leaving things in the woods, and so as I was doing my final trail camera collection and bringing things in, I, I was wearing my glasses because Now I can see I have 2015 vision at distance, I can see things further away than than most people but up close I can't see hardly anything and so I have to wear readers, but I hate the idea of putting readers on and taking them off and that whole thing and so what I do is I uh, get readers that are progressive so at the top there's no magnification but as I look down and look at my computer I can see things or my phone or whatever. And so i like to wear those into the woods with me when i'm doing trail cameras so that i can actually read the digital displays and see what i'm doing Uh, but uh, these this particular set that i had they kept sliding off with my hat on so i just took them off and sat them aside Uh, at least i thought i did and then i end up going home and on my way home i go to reach for my glasses and there's no glasses and i'm like son of a gun i also don't have my hat so i must have left my hat and my glasses with that where that trail camera was. So I'm like, all right, I'm irritated, but I got more glasses at home, no big deal. Next time I go out there, I'll just go by that area and collect my hat and my glasses. And so I do go back and find my hat, but no glasses. And I'm like, oh great, here's the freaking, you know, hat I got for free, but I can't find my $200 glasses. And so I'm kicking myself. I'm thinking I know what happened. A pack rat came by and found those glasses and took them and they're in a tr- some tree somewhere or something. Well, weeks go by and I assume these glasses are gone. Well, just the other day, I go to get the side by side out and I look and laying on the seat of the side by side are my glasses. And so, <laughs> what I must have done was sat those glasses on the seat uh, and didn't leave them, but I did leave my hat. And so, it is a B team reporting that I thought I lost my glasses. I went out and bought more only to find my old ones. And Now, so those are now permanently, Mike, those are permanently left in my truck. Those are my truck glasses only (laughs) until I lose them. So there you go. B-Team report today is all about lost and found, and I've got far too many lost and found examples. So that's the B-Team report for today. And before the day ends, we'll probably have one for the next episode as well. Hey folks, I always like to remind you of some of the great content that's out there on the NDA channels for you to check out. So some current things you'll want to check out. You can find these on our Facebook page or also our website, uh, but uh, on food plots. Again, this is the time of year to be thinking about that. A great article called Greenfields, uh, 10 ways to grow low impact food plots, which is a really good article uh, by our friend Lindsay Thomas, our chief communications officer. And then another one is uh, called Burn Outside the Box. For those of you who are into uh, uh, burning, which is something we frankly should all do more prescribed fire. Um, Try Prescribed Fire at a New Time of Year by Luke Resop. And Luke is a frequent contributor uh, to our archives. Check those out. Also, I was allowed to be on video. I did a very short liming video on what to do whenever you've got a big pile of lime, but you don't have uh, fancy spreading equipment to get it on the ground. So you might want to check that out. That's up on Instagram and I think TikTok as well. So check those out. And always check out our social media channels YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. That's where we put our more fun stuff. As we keep that updated. Speaking of spring, Mike, it is essentially here. Even though I'm reading reports about a snowstorm that's coming, it looks like we're safe here. You may get some of that snow, but I mentioned a couple of times about getting lime delivered. I'm out there spreading it by hand, and I got to tell you, it's it's far more efficient than I would have thought. It's actually not too bad with a bucket and a shovel to get that stuff on the ground.
1: I've done it. I mean, especially farm lime. Now, pelletized lime's easy to spread, but the the loose ag is you know at least with the smaller stuff that most people can afford the implements you know a shovel and a you know card or a you know bed of the back of an atv is good enough
0: yeah i think so too and i like i said i was surprised at how efficient i was at doing it and, it, and incidentally as i was writing my column for the next issue of quality whitetails magazine i talk about that experience and some of the uh Unforeseen upsides of of doing something like that by hand. So that's, I'll just tease that that'll be coming out in the next um, next issue of the magazine. And just generally, I'm looking forward to doing some frost seeding. I know we'll have some more frosts. I get this lime on the ground. I just ordered some an Imperial Whitetail Clover that I want to have some more um, areas that I know I can just count on. Mike, you've talked about this in the past. Sometimes we could go out there and grow. Uh, put, put the annuals out there for the fall hunting season and you know we just assume they're going to grow but what if they don't what if we have drought or even too much rain so uh, I'm going to do a little bit more with clover
1: yeah cl- clover saved me a ton um, I've had really good luck with it especially with some of the weird weather that we've had up here Yep.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to do that and then in shed hunting front I was at my niece's birthday party this weekend and I had Everybody that hunts there that was at the party asked me about hunting sheds and I tell them I haven't even gone out yet and uh, just looking at the schedule I just I don't know when I'm going to get out. Uh, Mike have you done any looking at all?
1: A little bit, but again I'm I'm working more and I just happened I like, guess I'm working I just kind of keep an eye out but nothing where I've scoured the area.
0: Yep. Yeah. So as we said in the last episode spring gets on you quickly and it's it's happening now. I'm starting to see things emerge from the ground which is cool. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, it's going to be March, and so and then the episode after that it'll be mid-March, and we come to you every two weeks. You can sometimes take these big jumps uh, in the seasons, and so it, the time is of the essence to get some work done. And so, Mike, as we close out the show, anything that you want to mention you've been working on in that regard? No, same stuff, different
1: day. Just doing a select clear cut.
0: Yep, and getting ready for turkey season. I'm starting to see uh, people are posting audio of hearing turkeys out there i haven't heard one yet here in the north but uh, it's not too far south that people are starting to hear them and uh today i'm actually hoping later this afternoon to get out and spread more of that lime and as the sun's coming up after it rained this morning i always think of those as great turkey days uh, i don't expect to hear any but there's a chance i may see some out and about so it's, it's about that time isn't it
1: it is now I was, I was kind of looking as I'm driving to work, you know, checking those little back corners of fields for that full fan for the first one of the year.
0: Yep, yep, it's about on it. So, Hey folks, with that as always, we appreciate you listening to the show. Uh, we hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. And we look forward to bringing you another episode here in a couple weeks. So hey, happy spring. It's March, National Deer Association, where we are united for deer.